So I, uh, I personally am really thankful for leaders because a lot of times I'm really clueless in how to do things and I need a leader to help me. Uh, it's, this is especially true in construction projects, so you should be very glad that we hired out this remodeling uh, job instead of having me be the project manager because uh, I just don't have those skills. I'm not really good at it. Uh, we did a big project in my house about a year ago where I uh, redid the whole basement and uh, you know, put up new walls and electrical and carpet and ceiling and put a new room in and, and all this stuff. Um, and we wanted to do a lot of the work ourselves because we didn't have a lot of money, but I had no idea how to do it. Uh, so for that reason, I'm very thankful for the leadership of my father-in-law, who did have the skills and the tools, very importantly, uh, to do these things and to provide some guidance to say, this is how you do these things. Um, he laid out the plan, he figured out what we're going to do, and he did a lot of the work and let me come alongside of him and learn and help along the way, but he provided the leadership. And at the end, we have a, a basement that's nice, and I'm proud of it, the walls are straight, square, it's, it's a good, and, and not what it would have turned out in, if I had done it myself. So I'm, I'm really thankful for the leadership of my father-in-law on that project, uh, helping me to move from a place of confusion and helplessness to a place of success. Uh, now, I bring that up because many of us, I think, find ourselves in a place of confusion and helplessness when it comes to our spiritual lives. Uh, we know, we've got this vague idea, I should be a better Christian. But we don't even know what that means, let alone how to get there. It's like someone saying, Dan, build a wall. Right, I've seen walls. I think there's two-by-fours that go in there somewhere, but I don't know how to put them all together and to make it happen. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we sit in church or we hear things like even last week, the sermon was on the, the previous verse in, in Hebrews 13, where it said, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. And we hear stuff like that and we think, yes, I want that. Okay, free from love of money. I need to be content. I have no idea how to do that. It's, it's a little hazy. Can someone provide me some leadership, some guidance? H- how do I do this thing called the Christian life? Even in a bigger picture sense, you know, it can be hard. How, how do you keep the faith and keep loving and following Jesus your entire life? Not even just in specific applications, but just in general, how do you stay a Christian? How do you keep living when, uh, when suffering enters your life? Or when uh, sin and temptation rear their ugly head? Or when you just kind of get tired? How do you keep on walking in the Christian life? What we need is leadership. What we need is is someone or someones to come in to our lives and to say, this is how you follow Jesus. Come follow me as I follow Christ. What we need are spiritual leaders. Now, in the book of Hebrews, as we continue to, to wind down in chapter 13, it addresses this need for spiritual leaders. Uh, the teaching is scattered over a few verses, but I want to cover them together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, or if you want to grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you, uh, open it up to Hebrews chapter 13. It's towards the the back of your Bible, and if you have trouble finding it, just ask somebody next to you. But we're in Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at uh, a couple different verses. We're going to look at verse 7, and then verses 17 through 19. And these verses teach us about spiritual leadership. They teach us how to identify who our spiritual leaders are, and then they tell us how to respond to them. So in Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7, and then I'm going to jump to verse 17 to get these verses together. So Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders 
those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Those are our verses today. If you keep your Bibles open, we'll keep referring back to those from time to time. If you're looking for a spiritual leader, this is what these verses tell us. The first thing that you need to know is how do you identify one? How do you identify? How do you know that someone is qualified to be a leader for you? We all need help. We all want someone to help us walk down these, uh, this path of following Jesus. How do you identify someone who is qualified to be a leader for you? And in these verses, you see at least three essential characteristics that spiritual leaders have. So if you see these three things, and all three of these, not just one or two, but all three, then you know that you found a spiritual leader. The first one is that they speak the word of God to you. We see this right there in verse 7. They speak the word of God to you. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. A leader is defined as one who speaks the word of God to you. A real Christian leader bases their leadership, their teaching, their advice on Scripture, on the Bible. They seek to understand and explain and apply the Bible to your life. The advice that they offer, the teaching they offer, is based on the Word of God. This is what they do. And the most central truth that a real Christian leader teaches from the Bible, the one they can't stop talking about, is the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross to take your place, to pay your penalty for your sin and rose from the dead victorious and is seated at the Father's right hand, even now, interceding for you so that everybody who puts their faith in him will be saved. That's what a real Christian leader talks about. That's in the warp and woof of their life, their conversation. You can't get away from it. They speak the word of God to you. They talk about the gospel. Now, there are plenty of people who are held up or identified as spiritual leaders who do not talk about the gospel, who do not talk about the word of God. They're not concerned about telling you the good news. They just want to tell you news that makes you feel good. So they'll say things like, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. This is what spiritual leaders, doesn't that, isn't that good? Does that sound good? I'm really smart, aren't I? The only courage you need, the only courage you need is the courage to live the life you want. Or things like, you may be in a stressful situation. You may be in the storm. The key is, don't let the storm be in you. Just think about that. I sound really spiritual, don't I? Just giving you these little aphorisms, these little words of wisdom. This, this, you know, you put that on your wall, you could, oh man, you can tweet that. That's good, I, I like that. Okay, spiritual leaders will tell you things like that, that that sound good, make you feel good. They sound profound, but they're not based in Scripture. They're not real spiritual leadership. They're just telling you something they read off a coffee cup. And that, was, that was the first one that I shared with you. It was just something off a coffee cup. Okay? So that's the source of my spiritual wisdom for you this morning. Real spiritual leaders, though, they're basing their instruction on the Bible. They're teaching the word of God. 
And it's centered on the gospel. That's the first characteristic. The, the second one also comes from verse 7. They must live exemplary lives. They must live exemplary lives. That is, they must live lives that are worth uh, being an example, worth imitating. Verse 7 again says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You're supposed to consider how their life turns out. Don't just listen to what they say and say, oh, that sounds good. You look at their lives and say, are they living in line with what they're teaching? And does that way of life have a positive and good outcome? Is it one that's worth imitating? When you're looking for a spiritual leader, you want to make sure that their life matches their teaching and that that life is worth imitating. If you were looking for a new dentist, you'd probably do some due diligence, ask around, find out who's, who's a good dentist. And if you're really into this, you may even call them up and ask them a little bit about their dental philosophy. So you say, what, kind of, what do you think is, is important you know, to do to take care of your teeth? And they, if they said the right things, like you, know, you should brush regularly, you should floss regularly, have good checkups every once in a while, and, and proper hygiene, you say, okay, this sounds like a good dentist. Okay, but what would you do if you show up at your appointment and the dentist smiles at you and you see that this dentist does not walk the talk? And in that mouth that he smiles at you, you see diseased teeth, you see gaps, you see someone who clearly is not participating in good dental hygiene. Well, I would walk away. I would, I would leave. I would probably try to excuse myself politely, but, but I wouldn't let that guy touch my teeth because if he's not taking care of his own teeth, why should I think that he would take care of mine? If he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing with his own mouth, why would I let him use, you know, take care of my mouth? In the same way, if you look at a spiritual leader and you say, they're not taking care of their own business, they're not taking care of their own lives, their conduct is not leading them in a good direction that you'd like to imitate, then why would you let them take care of your life? If they're not living exemplary lives, then why would you let them tell you how to live? Just talking a good game is nothing if you don't have the proven track record of a life well-lived to back it up. So when you're looking for a spiritual leader, look for one who has an outcome to their way of life that's worth imitating. Real spiritual leaders live exemplary lives. They must preach the word. They must, I mean, they must, they must speak the word to you. They must have exemplary lives. And they must. the third thing is they must keep watch over your soul. This is in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The word here that's translated, keep watch over your souls, is, it literally means to go sleepless. The images of a shepherd watching over his sheep. And if you're keeping watch of your sheep at night, somebody's got to stay up. You've got you to stay up, you've got to watch the sheep, protect them. And so this person who's watching over is, is going sleepless to take care of them. The, the picture is of a, of a shepherd, a person, the spiritual leader who really cares about your soul, cares about you individually, cares about helping you walk through the trials of life so much so that they may sometimes literally go without sleep because they're there to help you and to care for you as you're walking through these trials. They're people who sacrifice themselves for your good. That's what good shepherds are. In Ezekiel, a book in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34, there's a stinging indictment of bad shepherds. 
See, good shepherds take care of the sheep, but bad shepherds eat the sheep. Here's what God says in Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you have ruled them. That's how some so-called spiritual leaders treat their sheep. They take those that they lead and they lead them with force and harshness. They abuse them. They manipulate them. They use them to advance their own agenda. They don't feed the sheep. They eat the sheep. But good spiritual leaders don't do that. You, you want to watch out for that. You want to find a spiritual leader who's not out to eat you, but someone who's out to care for you, who's invested in your life, in your good, who wants to watch out for your soul. People who follow the example of Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Spiritual leaders care about you individually. They care about your soul because, I mean, did you notice this in verse 17? God has put you under their care and they're going to have to give an account for how they've done to him. Did you see that in verse 17? They are keeping watch of your souls as those who will have to give an account. They care about you individually. This is also helpful in distinguishing between someone who's merely a spiritual influence and someone who's a spiritual leader. I have lots of spiritual influences. Uh, one of them is a guy named John Piper. He's a pastor. He's in Minnesota. Okay? He's influenced me tremendously through his sermons, through his books, uh, shaped my thinking in lots of ways. But he's not my spiritual leader. Not in this sense. Because he doesn't have a responsibility to watch over my soul. He doesn't even know who I am. I might have a fantasy that he does, but no, he doesn't really. He has no idea who I am. I've never met him. He's never heard of me. So there's no way that he could actually watch over my soul. He's influenced me profoundly in very good ways, but he's not my spiritual leader. And I think all of us have people like this. There's people, maybe pastors or teachers you listen to on the radio, or you get their podcasts, or you, uh, you watch them on TV, or they, read, they write books and you read the books and they've profoundly influenced you. But you have to understand, they are not your spiritual leaders. They can't be. I mean, hopefully they are teaching the word of God to you. Hopefully they are living exemplary lives, but they're not watching over your souls. They can't. They don't even know who you are. Only someone local, someone who knows you as a person, could possibly fulfill this definition of leadership. Spiritual leaders are those who keep watch over your souls. So these three things are helpful in understanding this first step. How do you identify a spiritual leader? You, you, you look and say, do they speak the word of God to you? Um, do they look, lead exemplary lives? Do they keep watch over your soul? Okay, then they're your spiritual leader. And, and we'll talk in a minute about how to respond. But, but the first thing is, do you have one? This is the first question. Do you have a spiritual leader? We need spiritual leaders. Do you have one? The first commandment in verse 7, you see that was remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Do you, do you have leaders? Do you know who they are? I'll give you a hint. One part of that answer is that if you're a member of this church, some of your spiritual leaders are your elders. If you read 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, you get the description of an elder. 
uh, the biblical description, the job description, and you can easily pull out these three things as the main job description of an elder, that they teach the word, uh, that they live godly lives, and that they watch over your souls. Okay? So while we don't do it perfectly, amen, guys? <laughs> we don't do that perfectly. But this is the thing we're shooting for. This is the goal that we're striving after. And it's part of God's design that in the context of a local church, some of your spiritual leaders are your elders. Maybe the four of us that are on the council of elders right now. But I don't think it's limited just to elders. Because it doesn't use that language here. There's plenty of places in scripture where it uses the language of an elder or an overseer. And it's clearly talking about specific people who have an office in the church. But this just says leaders. And I think it seems to be intentionally broader because lots of people can actually meet these characteristics. Honestly, it's just a description of a mature Christian. Someone who speaks the word of God to you, someone who lives an exemplary life, and someone who cares about your soul. Really, that's what it means to be a mature Christian. That's, that's, that's what it is. So you can have lots of ways, and there should be lots of ways in which we are being spiritual leaders to one another as we're helping one another grow up in faith. This could look like an older woman taking a younger woman under her wing, meeting with her regularly, encouraging her with scriptural wisdom, praying for her, taking an active interest in her spiritual development and growth. That's a spiritual leader, someone who will do that for you. It could be a man meeting with a couple other guys regularly to read the Bible, to ask hard questions of one another, to pray for each other. That's spiritual leadership. Anywhere you have one Christian Fulfilling these three roles for someone else, you have spiritual leadership. Now, now I think God's design is for the elders of the church to set the pace in that. So you have some people up there who say, this is what it looks like to to be a spiritual leader. But that that trickles down, and and, and as their elders are the model, then everyone will see that and say, okay, I can do that. As we help one another to grow up in, in, in faith, just like in real families, when you have kids, you raise the kids, and then you start looking for grandkids. In, in the Christian life, you're, you're investing in other people, you're helping them, not so that you continually stay the leader and they continually stay the follower, but so that they grow up in their faith and they can do that with someone else too. The goal is for all of us to mature to Christian spiritual leadership and to help other people to grow as well. So I'm going to give you two application questions here as we wrap up the first point. And I want you to think about these as you go out from here. The first is, do you have a spiritual leader? Do you have one? You should. Remember your leaders. And the second one is, is there someone to whom you should be a spiritual leader? Because you're not just meant to be a kid forever. You grow up and you pass it on. Okay, so think about those. But assuming we have that straightened out and you've identified your spiritual leader, the next question is, how should you respond? And this passage has a lot to say about that. Once you've identified your spiritual leader or leaders, how should you respond to them? And our passage gives four responses. The first response is that you define the relationship. Define the relationship. What I mean by this is that the person who is your spiritual leader uh, has to agree that they are your spiritual leader. And and if you're going to be following someone, you need to agree to follow them. You need to have some sort of definition to the relationship. It can't just be nebulous and gray, like, I had no idea I was your spiritual leader. I thought you were discipling me. I didn't know that. You need to define it. You need to know who's leading and who's following. 
And I don't have a specific command for that, but it's an obvious inference from the nature of spiritual leadership. If being a spiritual leader means that you're accountable for someone's soul, then you need to know whose souls you're accountable for. And if spiritual following, and we'll talk about this later, means that you submit to certain leaders, you better know which leaders you need to submit to. So there needs to be a way in which you define the relationship and know whose souls am I accountable for and who am I supposed to submit to. You need to make it clear. In the context of personal discipleship relationships where you just maybe get one or two people uh, together with another and you're investing in them, it becomes pretty clear, pretty obviously, who is the leader, who are the followers, because you get that, you started the relationship, it's, it's, it's in there, you might have to talk about it a little bit, but, but you understand who's discipling, who's leading, who's following. In the context of a local church, it gets a little trickier. Uh, we know in the big picture sense, elders are supposed to be the spiritual leaders, but who are the elders responsible for? How do you define who the ones are that are actually required to submit to their leadership and that they're actually required to be accountable for? You could go the geographical route. You could say, well, this is our parish, so we're responsible for every soul within a five-mile radius of our building, or something like that. That'd be interesting, but there's a whole bunch of people who don't even know us from Adam. We don't know them, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. You could say, "Well, um, well, then it's people who come to our church. Well, but what do you mean there? People who visit once? Like, if you come here once, am I now accountable to God for your soul? You show up here one time and I never see you again? What if you come two times or three weeks in a row? Is that when you cross the threshold, now I'm responsible for your soul? Now you're required to submit the elders' leadership? Or maybe if you come every week? Here's how we do it. The way we define the relationship of spiritual leadership in the local church is through church membership. That's why we have it. Church membership is the way, joining the church is the way you say, I am submitting myself now to the leadership of this church. And it's the way that you say, I want the leaders of this church to be responsible for me. I want them to care for me. I want them to help me to grow in my faith. It's the way that you formalize and define the relationship. It's the way that we know whose souls we're accountable for. So that you know who you have to submit to. Think about it this way. If you just come to a church for a long time and you never join, you're like that neighborhood kid who's always hanging out at someone else's house. Maybe you've met him in person, maybe you've just seen him on TV. The neighborhood kid, who's just, he's always there. He's not really a part of the family, but he's hanging out with the family. He gets treated almost like family. But at the end of the day, The parents don't have the same responsibility towards that kid that they do to their own children. They may love him, they may welcome him in their home, but he's not their kid. And so they don't have the same ultimate responsibility towards him as they do to their own children. And in the same way, that kid may love those parents, he may love the people, that that are the parents of the household, he may uh, respect them, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have the same responsibility to obey and submit to their leadership as he does to his own parents. And if you just go to a church and you never join it, you're just like that neighbor kid hanging out with someone else's family. Okay, now, now, we want you to be part of the family. You, you can be part of it. We want you here. We want you to join the family. We want you to be there. But until you do, you just have to realize what you're saying is, I'm not a part of the family. That's what you're saying by not joining. You're defining the relationship and saying, you're not my spiritual leaders. 
You're, you're destined to remain on the fringe in some ways, to not get the same level of care and attention from the leaders because you haven't made a clear commitment to us as your spiritual leaders. So we're going to stay focused on the ones we know we're accountable to God for, the ones who've defined their membership or defined their relationship through church membership. See, for any of this to work, you have to know who's in the relationship. You have to know who the leaders are, who the followers are. You have to define the relationship. The next thing you do when you identify your leaders is that you imitate them. You imitate them. Look at verse 7 again. It says, uh, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Once you remember your leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life, the next step is to imitate it. To imitate it. This is how Paul puts it in Philippians 4.9. The Apostle Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What you've heard, what you've learned, what you've received, and what you've seen in me, practice these things. That's how we learn, is through imitation. I remember trying to teach our kids to talk. You hold a little ball in front of your face and you say, say ball, say ball. Ball, ba, 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 ball. You know, we're doing this goofy stuff, trying to get the kids to, but what they do is they eventually, they imitate. They, this is how God has wired us, is to learn by imitation. So the kids will eventually imitate you, say, ball. Yes, they said ball, all right, my kid can talk. Okay, this is how it works in our normal lives, our, our physical, just growing up lives. We learn through imitation. It's how we learn in spiritual lives, too. We learn mostly through imitation. So what God's calling us to do is to to find our spiritual leaders and to be with them, to live life with them, to hang out with them, to ask them questions, um, to to imitate them, to say, how did you make it through this situation? What do you think we should do here? And then just to watch them. What does their marriage look like if they're married? Um, How do they treat their kids if they have kids? How do they work? You know, how do they talk about their employer? How do they treat their employees? And you watch them in their way of life, and that's a lot of what spiritual leadership is, is someone walking with Christ and someone else saying, okay, I'm going to try to walk like that. So you you don't need to sit down and hear a big lecture from someone, how to live the Christian life. You just watch them. You imitate. So we define the relationship, we imitate them, and the third thing we do is submit to them. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. Let's just admit right up front that these verses can and have been used as grounds for lots of spiritual abuse. There's people in positions of authority in local churches who can use this verse to justify all sorts of power grabbing and meddling. I'm the pastor. I'm telling you to do this. If you don't do this, I'm kicking you out of the church. It happens. Unfortunately, a decent number of people here have experienced that. We know what that feels like. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse isn't talking about following people who are bad shepherds who eat the sheep. It's not talking about just sitting there blindly and letting them slaughter you and eat you. It's not what he's saying. He's saying when you have leaders who teach you the word of God, who live exemplary lives and who are actively seeking the good of your souls, you should obey them. You should submit to them. You should follow their leadership because they really care about you. The authority that God gives to spiritual leaders, and here I'm talking elders and the person who may be discipling you, right? The authority God gives to spiritual leaders is is a lot less like a dictator than it is like a coach or a parent. Someone who has been a little farther along says, I think I know what's wise here. I think I know what's good. I've 
I've, I've lived longer. I've spent more time in the Word than you. I've, I've, I've experienced many things in different ways, and, and I've learned some stuff the hard way. I want to help you. So as, as you're considering this decision, I think you should do this. Or I think you should do this. And you hear that advice. You hear that leadership. And your default position should be to respond by saying, okay, okay. It's going to be hard. It can be weird. Uh, there's a pastor named Joe Hellerman. He told a story in one of his books about Nick and Tina. That's what he called them. That's not their real names. But Nick and Tina were a couple in his church in the late 80s. He said this couple met in September. They came to see him in October, and they wanted to get married in December. It's a pretty fast, four-month engagement. He said they had a lot going for them. They were financially stable. They both had good jobs. They were pretty mature. They were in their 30s. Um, they, were, uh, they clearly loved Christ. They were committed Christians. But at the same time, there were some warning signs. He knew that they had both been divorced before. He knew that uh, Nick had some kids, and so this would be a blended family. And so he thought, what? and he was kind of worried about them moving so fast. So he and another elder met with them, and they ended up giving him this advice. They said, we'd be happy to marry you, but not this December. We'd like to do it a year from December because we'd like you to receive some premarital counseling, some pretty intense stuff, because we think there's just some danger signs here that would be good for you to work through before you rush off into this. And if there's no major obstacles, we would be happy to marry you in our church and to bless this marriage. All right, how do you think that's received? So, so these are two 30-year-olds, uh, independent people. Uh, they're madly in love. They're committed Christians. And now your pastor and another elder say, we think you should wait a year to get married. Uh, well, he writes in the book, he says, As I shared our feedback, Tina's face began to redden, and her body language communicated to me in no uncertain terms that she was not at all happy with our feedback. You can imagine that. So they left. They were kind of angry. But about a week later, Nick called, and he said, You guys are right. Um, I know we both screwed up before. We want to do it right this time. And if you think that we need to take some time and to get some counseling, we want to submit to that, and we want to accept that advice, and we want to do that, because we want to do it right this time. And so they started counseling. And, you know, it went so well, they ended up getting married in June. Because they worked it all out. It was fine. And the marriage worked. It grew strong. And then they became a mentor couple in that church, helping other couples in similar situations to make wise decisions about their marriages. Okay, so, so that's an example of what it can look like to submit to spiritual leaders. It doesn't mean that you open yourself up to abuse and just obeying whatever they say, but it has to mean something. It can't just mean that you do what they say when you agree with it. That's not submission, that's just agreement. It has to mean something. And so when you're in a relationship with a spiritual leader and they give you some counsel and they say hard things like, I think you should wait a year before marrying this guy, or I don't think you should marry this guy at all, or you need to start giving to missionaries in the church, or you need to go to church, or you know, as, as, as your spiritual leader starts meddling in your life, your response should be by default, okay, okay. That's why they're there. Finally, we pray for them. How do we respond to spiritual leaders? We pray for them. Verse 18, he says, pray for us. Pray for us. I love that he switches from talking about leaders in general to now saying, pray for us. 
He's admitting he's one of these. Of course he's one of the leaders. He wrote the whole book of Hebrews to these folks. He cares about their souls. And now he's saying, pray for us. Pray for us. We need help. And of course we need help. I mean, think about this. But by now you see that spiritual leadership is a huge responsibility. You're called to teach truth to people. You're called to live lives that are worth imitating. You're called to watch over people's souls as ones who will give an account to God. Who's, who's up for that? Who's worthy to that task? Nobody can do that on their own. And so he ends with this plea, pray for us. And I would add, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for your spiritual leaders. It's a really helpful command because it does keep us from hero worship. It does guard us on that. That's one of the temptations with this whole spiritual leadership dynamic. Especially if you're a young Christian uh, and, you, and you can begin to idolize a Christian mentor or a pastor or a leader and you can think, oh man, they have all the answers. I mean, I go with these questions, they have all the answers. Uh, look at their life, they're so well put together, they ne- must never struggle. And, and you can begin to subtly move your allegiance from God to your spiritual leader. You begin to idolize them. But this command here cuts the knees out from under that because he just says, pray for us. The only way you're going to get good spiritual leaders is if you pray for them. You've got to pray for your spiritual leaders. They're humans just like you are. We've all got our sins. We all have our blind spots. We all have our weaknesses. So your leaders don't need you to idolize them. Your leaders need you to pray for them. What could you pray You could pray for these things. You could pray that they have rich times in the word of God so that they're able to help you understand it. You could pray for them to have pure, holy lives, for God to protect them from sin and temptation so that they are exemplary and you can imitate them. Uh, You could pray that God would give them wisdom and skill and discernment So that when they do give you guidance and direction, it's godly and wise and worth submitting to. And you certainly want to pray that God would protect them from pride and from the abuse of authority, that they may be good shepherds that feed the sheep and not bad shepherds that eat the sheep. Pray for us. We need your prayers. And the beautiful thing is as you do this, God will hear your prayers He will give you the leaders that you need to help you grow up into a mature Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for leadership and the gift of leadership. We're not in this on our own. We have one another and that you've put people in every local church who are a little farther along in different ways from someone else. Father, thank you for the the gift of spiritual leadership, thanks that you've even blessed me with a role in that. But boy, this is heavy. And we need your grace. Father, none of us has it all together, but I pray right now for us. Help us all, Lord, in the ways in which you've made us leaders to, to be more like you, to imitate you with more sincerity, with more success, with more passion, that others might follow after us and imitate us as we imitate you. God, please create a culture in our church that is um, loving, that is far from authoritarian or dictatorial. And create a culture, too, where all of us desire to grow up into Christian maturity and pass on what we have learned and experienced to someone else. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.